0: You're listening to Byzantine Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture in collaboration with the Melkite Eparchy of Newton. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and director of the Institute and host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video for the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Catholic
1: Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Welcome back, everyone. We are looking at our Sunday Gospel Reflection for the fifth Sunday after the exaltation of the Holy Cross. The Gospel reading for this Sunday is Luke 16. Luke 16 verses 19 through 31. Luke 16, verses 19 through 31, also known as the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Whereover the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, the place of the dead, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner received evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may pass from there to us. And he said, then I beg you father to send him to my father's house for I have five brothers so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. There are a lot of complex issues to deal with here in this reading. We're going to look at the most important ones. First of all, in the first section, we hear about a man who is very rich and a man who is very poor. Right? So the, a man who is clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasts every day. This would be very rare in the ancient world in this region, in, in Palestine and in Judea, and Galilee, to have clothing made of fine linen and purple purple was a very expensive color in the ancient world to make today it's made just like any other color synthetically but back then all the colors of clothing the dyes came from the natural world from grinding up rocks or grinding up plant matter and things like that this is made specifically from the shells of certain uh, mollusks that are in the mediterranean there and so the purple was difficult to make, very expensive, time-consuming, and was something only the most wealthy or most powerful, who were also wealthy, politicians, kings, things like that, could, uh, could afford. So here's a man who is very powerful, very rich, very wealthy. And a sign of that is not only his clothing, but that he feasts every day. In that ancient world, a typical family would have one large meal, and that large meal consisted primarily of a big hunk of bread, and the uh, they, they might have a little bit of bread in the morning, or a little snack, a few olives, and a piece of bread at, at around lunchtime in the middle of work, and then in the evening they would eat as well. The three meals out of the day, typically one of them the largest. If you were wealthy, you would not just simply maybe eat three meals a day; you would eat whenever you wanted, and you eat whatever you wanted, and so. You could have uh, feasts, a feast being something made, uh, not just bread and olives, but of meat, meat, something that was very expensive. And so here's a man who is clothed in fine linen, purple. He's got the expensive clothing, and he also is feasting sumptuously every day. There was, in contrast, that this poor man who, who was... Covered not in purple and fine linen, but in sores. His skin is covered in some sort of leprosy or something. And he was so hungry. So contrast his clothing now to his his food. He's so hungry that all he would like to have is maybe a few of the crumbs that fell from this rich man's table while he was eating. Just one of the crumbs that fell on the ground that... A dog would eat up. And it says that even though no one had any compassion on him, obviously sitting out at this rich man's gate and he's got no food, that at least the dogs had compassion on him. The dogs would come and lick his sores. Now a dog is in the ancient re- region of Palestine. This was, this is the lowest possible animal. Most people think of swine as the, you know, the unclean, the unclean animals. You couldn't eat it, of course. And so it was, it was, a, it was an animal that was uh, a high-profile unclean animal. It was the one of the animals that all the Gentiles ate, but the Jews couldn't eat that, no bacon. But the, the unclean of unclean animals for the Jew is the dog. And we're not talking about fluffy or your Labrador Retriever or something. They didn't have pet dogs back then. No poor person did. I mean, a rich person somewhere in the Middle East, you might find something like this, but not among the Jews. The dog was the unclean of unclean animals. It ate dead stuff. It ate rotting things. They were scavengers. Think about maybe a hyena or a, a stray dog in, a, in an alley in New York or something like that. You're getting just starting to get close to what they would think of as a dog, Fle, flea-bitten you know, uh, covered in, in all sorts of uh, disease and filth. Okay. So these animals, the lowest of the lowest of animals, unclean and unclean, at least they had compassion on this man. So this is showing you how low Lazarus has become. He's like a dog and it happened that they both died. And when they died, of course, their bodies were buried, but in, Their spirit and their soul, they go to two different places that are somewhat uh, related. They're the place of the dead, Hades, the place of the dead. But the rich man goes to a place of torment and Lazarus goes to a place of peace and comfort, the bosom of Abraham, as we say, as we pray for this, even in our memorial services and our funerals. The bosom of Abraham, the place of the the righteous of God. And the the rich man asks in his torment that Lazarus, who is obviously in a pretty good place, to be able to come and give him a little bit of water because he's in this fiery, hot torment. And Abraham says, no, I'm sorry, it can't be. Uh, Don't forget that, you know, what you experienced in life, all the great pleasure you had, Lazarus is now experiencing likewise in, in the heavenly abode. He is now experiencing joy and happiness and comfort and peace. You had all that. And Lazarus had this miserable existence. Think of the, the, the burning sensation, these sores all over his body and the, whole, and, and, the, and the hunger. And you now likewise are experiencing this in spirit. And furthermore, there's no way for that to happen anyway. Lazarus can't go over there. You can't come over here. There's a great chasm that's fixed that we can't cross over. But notice they're communicating. A lot of times people think of this as heaven and hell, eternal damnation versus eternal bliss with God. That's not what's going on here. This is Hades, as it has in the Greek text, the place of the dead. Now, for the, or the, as the Jews would say in Hebrew, sheol, the pit, in the ancient world, the Jews understood that when you died, you went to this kind of temporary state, this netherworld in which you were waiting for the resurrection from the dead. And while you were there, you were kind of in this sleep state, some would say, or uh, some would see some more of a, a conscious existence. And Jesus says here that, There's not just a conscious existence, but you're aware of what you did in your past and what's coming in the future. And so they are in, in waiting for something that is the resurrection we hear allusions to at the end of the parable. The Jews believed, at least the Pharisees, believed in a resurrection. All the prophets had talked about this. But in the, in the time between death and the resurrection, there's this time of waiting. In, in, and for some, it's a joyful wait because they know of what's coming, a resurrection into life. And there are others who know there's a resurrection of judgment and death coming because of what they did with the life they had. And this is what we see in the parable. There are two, two groups of people who have, who, are, who have departed from us, those who have lived their life in accordance with God's will and those who have not. Now, the, the middle of this, this uh, gospel passage comments on that when Abraham responds and says, you, you were wealthy and Lazarus was poor and now things have switched around. It sounds almost like he's being punished for his wealth, but that's not what's going on. Wealth is from God. That is a, a basic tenet you find in, uh, throughout the Old New Testament that everything you have is given by God, and some people are given more than others. And so they're, they've been given even more blessings by God. But the question is not whether or not you have wealth or don't have wealth. The question is, what do you do with what you have, what God has given you? And so here is this man who has been given an abundance of wealth and power, and he's abused and misused what God has given him. He's wasted it on himself. He didn't need purple clothing. He didn't need fine linen. He needed something to cover his body and keep himself warm, like Lazarus needed at the gate. But he didn't share any of his wealth that God had given. God had given him what he needed to clothe himself, and he gave an abundance above that. And the rich man had a responsibility to use that abundance more than he needed for those around him. He was being made a steward of God's blessings. But instead of using those, that extra wealth he had for those who were around him and were in need, rather than being an instrument through which God blesses the poor, he had, he had kept it all to himself and bought the most expensive clothing he could to be clothed in that. So then what about the food? The same thing. He has more food than he could ever need. He has more wealth to buy the more food. And with all of this excess food, instead of using it properly, that is, eating what he needs for the day and giving the extra to the poor, here's a poor man right at his gate, he would gorge himself on it, just like he gorged himself on his extra wealth that is in his clothing. He's gorging He's filling himself up with all this extra. He has not looked outside himself, but has taken everything God's given him Along with all that God gave him for others, and he is consuming in himself. He's consumed with his own existence. But here is this poor man, Lazarus. What a contrast. Now, why does the rich man then go to this place of torment in Hades? Why is he there and waiting with this anxiety of what's coming, the coming judgment? Because he knows what he did with his life and what he did with what God gave him. This is what Abraham, the point Abraham makes. Lazarus is not in the bosom of Abraham because he's poor. Because he lived a life of poverty, therefore, he's in the bosom of Abraham. Rather, the poor typically, though you will find many wicked among the poor, just you'll find wicked among the the rich, the poor typically, because they are constantly in need, have a regular opportunity to pray, knowing that, that their existence is always always on the edge and so the poor throughout salvation history we find typically are the most righteous the most pious they they pray to god constantly they look to god for help oh lord where am i going to get lunch today how am i going to feed my family tonight how am i going to clothe my kids this week where will i get my next job and they pray and pray and pray whereas someone who is in excessive wealth having no need that they see around them don't have a daily need to pray at least they don't perceive it and so therefore they don't and their relationship with God gets weaker and more estranged whereas the poor are constantly praying and when we pray we have conversation with God we build relationship we come into communion with him conversation builds relationship and so Lazarus is not in the bosom of Abraham because he was poor He's in the bosom of Abraham because he was a righteous man. He had a relationship with God. And when he died, that relationship continued in that same state in the afterlife. So that's what's going on between the, the Abraham and I mean, the rich man and Lazarus here in the story and the comments regarding that previous existence and the present existence. But then the gospel passage turns toward the end to talk about the others. What about this man's brothers? Well, if, if Lazarus can't come to me, then maybe you can send him to my brothers. I have got five other brothers, unless they come here, warn them. And this is the sign that we're not talking about eternal damnation versus eternal bliss. Because what all theologians will agree on is that no, no demon, no damned individual would ever have any concern for anyone besides themselves. And so here he is in his suffering in this intermediate existence between his previous life and the coming resurrection and judgment. He's contemplating what he did and what his brothers are doing and how they should repent even now. And so he does have charity in his heart here. He's concerned for others, which again eliminates the possibility that he's in some sort of eternal damnation. He's in this temporary waiting period till judgment. Again, you know, this is the Jews had a very simple understanding of the afterlife, and it was accurate, of course, and, and, uh, but not so developed in understanding uh, the, what are the ramifications of the coming resurrection of the Messiah and how that will result in our existence in this life and in the, even in the state of waiting in a different way. But that's for another discussion. So the, the conversation now turns to the others who have not yet con, con, come to this place where this rich man is. Send Lazarus there, and Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets. right? These are Jews. They've got Moses and the prophets. They, they should know from Moses and the prophets, Moses and the prophets. Moses will tell you what to do with your life, and the prophets will tell you the result of what you're gonna do with that life and what's gonna happen in judgment and in the afterlife and in resurrection. The prophets talk about those things. He's got Moses and the prophets, they have everything they need. They've got it all, just like you did, Mr. Richman. And he says, yeah, that's true, but that, that's not enough. Because if if a man were to rise from the dead and appear to them, then they would wake them up. They'd repent. And Abraham says, even if someone were to rise from the dead, if they have Moses and the prophets and they're not convinced, then even if someone were to rise from the dead, they would not be convinced and repent. Now this is, of course, not only a statement about Lazarus, and that question about him coming but rather is a looking forward in the gospel to the coming resurrection of Jesus and for the Jews who there are there in that period who have Moses and the prophets the question remains will they repent of their sin and change their life if they hear about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead with his eternal father is all holy good life giving spirit both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Byzantine Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.